So uh, Wayne Rooney was quite bad against Aston Villa. Though, wow. He wasn't the only one. Did, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just going to mm-hmm. get the caveat in there straight away. He wasn't the only one who stunk against Villa. Uh, he just stunk the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I'd, I'd hazard to say, I mean, I may be exaggerating, and of course it's the freshest in my memory, but that might just be his worst performance in a Manchester United shirt. Yeah, we have a, a running gag on this show, which is that me and you have a go at Rooney all the time. Not actually based on any kind of hatred or anything. It's just become a thing. But th- that game was like a parody of the version of Wayne Rooney that we actually talk about. You know, he was really, really, really bad. I, I would assume that will also be his worst performance of the season too. I would think so. Look, Ro- Rooney traditionally takes a long time to get into the season, doesn't he? I actually have no data to back that up, but I'd hazard that his performances early in the season for the last few years have not been great. And Or after injury, you know, it just seems to take a long time to get fit. It, it doesn't seem quite right that he takes so long to get fit maybe you should have gone on Luke Shaw and Adnan Yanazai's uh, Dubai training camp or something like that but it does seem to take a long time so this is his sixth game four in pre-season two Premier League games uh, maybe he's just not quite fit in fact look it's obvious he wasn't fit because he was blowing so hard by the end and walking around and uh, that wasn't the case with the rest of the team. And, and aside from that, it was just completely ineffective. Um, kept dropping back into midfield when he didn't need to. Lost the ball quite a lot of times. Lost the ball eight times. And uh, then uh, Louis van Gaal came out and blamed Adnan Yanazai for losing the ball. Interesting. Yeah, a bit upsetting that. A bit upsetting, really. Because actually, I thought Yanazai, he didn't do brilliantly. But you said, I want to go back to something you said. You said Rooney was not the only one who stunk. And... I think Rooney might have been the only one who absolutely stunk up the place. Who That's, there true. was there was no other redeeming features because everyone else who had a bad game. I mean, I think Memphis probably was next on that list. Yeah, he di- he didn't have a great game. I mean, he he ran with the ball, but again, it's, I I don't want to sound like a broken record, but he just keeps the ball too long. And I, I with him. I'm wondering whether it's a bit of tactical naivety that, you know, he had more space in the Dutch league, therefore could have more impact with it. And now he just needs to move it just a bit quicker. A little bit of that and just a little bit of just trying too hard. Yeah. You know, and he feels like he desperately wants to get that first goal, desperately wants to impress. And uh, and it felt a bit like that in pre-season as well. So, you know, I benefit of the doubt there. Uh, Wan Mata didn't have a great game either, but the pass for Yanazai's goal was just out of this world. So, um, and and it's, you know, we were, I think we were chatting over text messages just before the game. And uh, I said, you know, Yanazai Wright sometimes gets isolated away from home and he just finds it really hard to get into the game if he's being pushed Matter. back. Wan Mata, yeah. Um, and he just has to drift inside. And of course, when he drifts inside, all his best work happens. And it just, maybe I'm just being, you know, overly reductive uh, and simplistic about this. But wouldn't a front three of Yanazai, Memphis and Mata, just in slightly different roles, uh, help United's attack somewhat? You know, Mata through the centre and Yanazai and Memphis wide uh, with lots of flexibility. I mean, that makes total sense from an attacking point of view. And of course, the goal came with Yanazai playing as a number nine and uh, Mata playing as a number 10 uh, in the move for that goal. And and Mata was so far inside, he was over on the left hand side of, of the box. 
But if you look at Mata's numbers in that game, you say he didn't have a very good game apart from that. He didn't have a very good game in a creative sense, but he was incredibly important defensively. Like he, that right hand side just ticks up tons of numbers uh, in terms of defensive work. Damian a rock again, yeah, and and Mata really like amazingly helping him with that. It seems like a bit of a waste of Mata, but still, it, it is a waste of Mata. But it, it's not amazing in that he does do that, and it is a myth that Mata doesn't defend very well, or, or he wouldn't defend for Jose Mourinho and will defend for Van Gaal. We called that out last week, didn't we? Said Juan Mata covered it right back uh, quite a bit when Antonio Valencia came on and Old Trafford against Spurs. So, look, he does plenty of good defensive work there. That's not where you want your most creative player. I mean, he's United's most creative player by miles. Yeah. You know, he's the he's the, the, the one true number 10 in the squad. I mean, lots of players who want to play there or could play there, but he's the one that really makes the ball talk and you want him as far up the pitch as absolutely possible. Of course, the player who did play number 10, Adnan Yanazai, had a, had a mixed game. I thought, you know, in, in possession, he got caught quite a few times, you know, trying to take players on. But it's kind of what you expect. He'd, he's what Ferguson would have called a bursty player in that position. You know, think back all those years to the 99 final. He didn't play gigs through the middle because he said he's too bursty, he'll lose the ball. And that's kind of what Yanazai did. And some nice, some nice bits. Um, but of course, you know, scored the goal and... It just felt like he just wasn't quite there, Yanazai. He only got an hour and he said he wasn't fit afterwards and it was okay. The goal sort of definitely put a shine on the performance, but that's important too. Like I was just about to say, without the goal, we'd be saying very different things, but that's like without the most important thing he did. So you can't really take that away from the discussion. But uh, I don't think he did a lot to suggest that he's going to nail down that number 10 position necessarily. So the whole debate around Herrera has been interesting. And Van Gaal said immediately after the game, I prefer to play a second striker there rather than a third midfielder. Which against, you know, you were talking about it being basically a 4-4-2 against Spurs. I, I think that was a lot down to Memphis's wanting to impress and, and that dragged him further up the field because this was definitely a 4-4-1-1 you know Yanazai was definitely all for 2-3-1 Yanazai was definitely playing as a as a 10 not as a kind of you know it wasn't a 4-4-2 was it Um, maybe some of that's down to the fact that it was Memphis and not Young on the left as well and and Mata drifting so far inside as well so you couldn't structurally really call that one a 4-4-2 but yeah, anyway, so the, this thing about the second striker versus third midfielder is really interesting because after Herrera came on, we he came on and Schweinsteiger came on and I thought we looked a lot better after that. I would say Carrick's probably my, my next in my list of underperformers in that in that Villa game. And then from everyone else on, I think had a pretty good game. And once again, defensive structure, really sound. Fullbacks, absolutely outstanding. Both were, yeah. Just, you know, just... Flicking back to the, the, the structure of the, the team. I mean, Yanazai played further forward than Rooney in terms of like average position, but I think he moved around the pitch more than Memphis did. So it still is some combination of 4 2 3 1 4 4 1 1 ish, isn't it? But the point that Van Gaal made about a second striker rather than a, a, a third midfielder is really key, isn't it? Because, you know, he, he he obviously has pigeonholes for a number of his players. He said that Yanazai all played this season at number nine, well, sort of. He obviously considers Herrera to be a midfielder in that box and, and definitely matter. And Memphis is a striker, although he also called him a midfielder during the summer. So, yeah, all very confusing. Um, but I think we can probably say that Rooney and Memphis... 
and Yanazai are strikers and Herrera and Massa are midfielders and, and in this system which is closer to 4-4-2 than 4-3-3 right now the the uh, former three will be you know making up two of what looks like a strike force. I'm not sure it's quite working for United. It's just a little bit insipid at the moment, and, and I think it's more than just a lack of fitness. Anyway, well, it is 100% not working for United up front, is it? I mean, I, I think uh, we'll come back to the positives because I think there are plenty. Those I mentioned the fullbacks and worthy of a bit more discussion, but the attack is not working. We've scored two goals this season. One an OG, and the other one took a pretty hefty deflection even if it wasn't a, an OG. Yet nobody would have had Adlan Yanazai as our leading scorer by this point, would they? It's great that we've won our first two games. I would rather that the um, the building blocks of the system are in place and the kind of structural stability is in place because I feel like it's easier to fix the attack from a basis of a strong defensive platform than it is the other way around where we kind of just had a wide open defence all of last season so I think he's doing this the right way around but the attack's not working so the question is how much of that is that the balance of the attacking midfielders is wrong to avoid having to delineate between midfielders and strikers here and how much of it is to do with the fact that Rooney is just not playing well either yet or you know we all hope it's yet um he just hasn't warmed up into the season yet, so there's nobody to stretch defenders and create space. Sure. So so I think it's a little bit of tactical and a little bit of personnel. And here I think we should take a lesson from history and, and kind of not kid ourselves that things are going to change too much, right? So uh, tactically, Van Hal has set up his team in pretty conservative fashion. Uh, there's two players holding at all times. For the first 15 to 20 minutes, United did not send the fullbacks forward. It was really, really noticeable. I ape your comments. I think they were both fantastic, as was Smalling, as was Blint. You know, you got a really nice unit there. Uh, it's so good that Romero had almost nothing to do. Um, uh, so we can't even criticise him. Uh, he might be a great goalkeeper. He might be a dud. I don't think he made a save for about 90 minutes. Uh, anyway, so the, the unit looks much better than it did last season. But effectively, we've got six players defending, um, uh, at least in the defensive phase of the game. In the attacking phase of the game, both the fullbacks are bombing forward, or at least did later in the game. Didn't for quite a while against Villa. And it just means that you know, you're not getting enough bodies forward quickly so tactically it's a it's a bit of a problem um Matt is having to come inside to to do his best work Memphis hugged the touchline you know so it was just a little bit of a jumble then it's personnel and uh, it would change a little bit or quite a bit with Herrera coming into the side for one of the holding midfielders you know we, we saw last season he can do a job at eight um definitely did his best work at eight a little bit of uh, tenaciousness in the tackle, a little bit of attacking. And then Rooney's giving United absolutely no focal point at all. Uh, I mean, the only time he moved away from having his back to goal and really not causing any of the defenders any problems was when he came deeper. And it wasn't good when he came deeper because he started getting into other players' zones and wasting possession. So I don't know what to say other than it was it was such a poor performance that it makes you question whether he can actually get into get into rhythm at all. It was so bad that any other player out there, any of the potential strikers, Yanazai, Wilson, Hernandez, would have done a better job because there would have been some movement. Yeah, uh, he killed a lot of United's attacking play by knocking the ball backwards as well, which I, I kind of understand and I'm reluctant to criticise him for when you've got Van Gaal kind of 
beating the drum of don't give away ball possession, you know. But, but more than half of his possession went backwards. You yeah, know, exactly. A little caveat there because he was playing with his back to goal at points. But actually, you know, in this system, you're wanting someone to get, you know, forward, right? So if, two, if six are holding and there's, there's, you know, three, four moving forward, someone's got to break beyond the, the defenders at some point. And if he's supposed to be playing as a number nine whose role is structural and is about dragging defenders out of position and isn't about touching the ball, you know, if he's supposed to be having 10 to 12 touches of the game, he had three times that many in this game, you know. So he's not clocked that part of the role either. And he just never turns and runs at anyone. And you can understand that because his confidence is low. I mean, if you look at his his stretch of form, he got that goal against Villa. He got that one goal for England. He must have scored in pre-season. I think, yeah, I'm sure he scored in pre-season. But that's it. It's been a long, long dry spell for Rooney. And, you know, the chances are, I think, still, there will be another hot spell. There'll be a game where he scores five, a spell where he scores five in ten games or whatever, or even maybe better than that. But it needs to change a lot for it to, you know, Van Gaal needs an awful lot more out of Rooney for the whole thing to work. And and there is that fascinating thing of what is going to happen if it doesn't work. For Rooney, right? So, so I mean, just just imagine this: you swap Rooney for Diego Costa, right? How much would? And, and I'm not even saying that Costa is the, the best possible striker out there, but he's he's the archetypal number nine playing up front on his own with a bunch of little buzzy players around him. Player in the league, isn't he? Right? Uh, and put Costa in United's attack, and it completely transforms. And, um, you know, just Rooney is totally wrong for it at the moment because he's not giving anything. Now, of course, he has special privileges, so he's not going to get drops. You know, it was a kind of fanciful piece I wrote on the blog saying that they could change the tactics or change the personnel. I Honestly, I believe that neither will happen. There may be a few changes in personnel. You know, there's a chance that Schweinsteiger will play against Bruges. We'll get onto that and maybe Herrera even. But fundamentally, this appears to be the structure we're in for now. And Rooney's not going to move away from that, whatever happens. But I have to say, though, the, the flip side to that is there was an enormous surprise in the lineup against Villa. I mean, the, the story broke. I didn't even spot this, but like the story had broken earlier in the day and there were there were rumours because Van Gaal trains the team he trains the final 11 at the back end of the week so it started to come out that Yanazai was going to be playing at 10 but last week if you'd asked us what the chances were of Adnan Yanazai starting that game at number 10 next week and Young being dropped and Memphis playing on the left I'd have said those chances are absolutely negligible you know I'd have said there's next to no chance that he's going to do that so he is still in tinker mode you yeah know, fair enough it's, yeah. in that in that sense in terms of finding the balance of personnel but the system the structure I don't think he's going back to one holding midfielder and two more advanced midfielders in a 4-3-3 anytime particularly soon no I mean it, you're right it was a big surprise that Yanisai came in not, not a surprise that Young was dropped in a, in a sense that he was completely ineffective against Spurs for some reason uh, the the general narrative out there and I had a, a debate friendly in most cases uh, with people on Twitter about this. Some reason the general narrative that 
was that he'd had a good game. In in what world? You know, he, he managed to create one chance, which was a square ball about 40 yards from goal. And that was it for Young's numbers against Spurs. You know, he was abysmal in terms of output, right? So he, he provided an extra defensive piece of cover. So I wasn't surprised he went. Uh, I was definitely a surprise because he's just barely been in, in, in the frame at all in, in months and months, a year even. So lots and lots of talk in the week about potentially him moving to Sunderland on loan. Not, I mean, a loan would, might make sense if he's not going to get any game at time this season. To Sunderland, hmm, no thanks, they're awful. Yeah, it's thick advocate, isn't it? It's like, I think I mentioned this at the back end of last season, but Van Gaal hasn't got a network of managers in, in England in the way that Ferguson had. So kind of makes sense that he the one manager that he's actually friendly with in the league would be where he'd want to send a player to. But yeah, Sunderland are a, a pretty toxic situation at the moment, aren't they? So. They are. And and I guess the other big thing going into the game against Villa, the, the big debating point was uh, David Haya. Yeah, I've, I've got a, a, a Twitter question here from at Nikhil underscore 2991992. Say his phone number? <laughs> I'm going to guess date of birth. Van Gaal has pushed Dave out as well. Soon, Mr. Know-It-All won't any have anyone to start a game with. Hashtag Rankcast. Yeah, all right. Might be a little bit of a simplistic take on that situation. What do you make of the whole De Gea gate? De Gea gate. It's a bit hard to say that one, isn't it? It is. And, and look, just appending gate to everything doesn't make any sense. You know, gate gate was because it was the Watergate Hotel, right? The Watergate <laughs> Hotel in Washington, where they were doing all sorts of dodgy shenanigans um, uh, in, yeah. in during Nixon's time, right? So appending gate doesn't make any sense. After that rant, David uh, De Gate. David De Gate. Yeah, well, he was a gate last season. Nothing went past him. Anyway, he's been thrown under the bus. And um, I, uh, I from a few people, actually, I double-checked. Long time since I've been a journalist, but occasionally I still do have contacts and give them a call. So double-checked on this one. De Gea's camp is absolutely adamant that at no point did he ever say, uh, I do not want to play, or at no point did he answer the question, do you want to play? No. And that was, that was the, the so he's all come from a sidebar. Louis Lee Van Hal speaking to Tony Barrett, the Times correspondent. Um, have you asked David De Gea if he wants to play? Yes. Uh, what was the answer? No. So I had to make a decision anyway, right? So he had this sidebar conversation, and, and it feels like Louis Van Hal's thrown him under the bus. And I, on the generous side, you'd say maybe there's some kind of Louis Van Hal's not always at one with the English language, is he? So, you know, maybe maybe, maybe something has happened there, but it's not been denied afterwards yep. either, right? So um, United's PR department tried to clarify it, but not in a very good way. And basically we're left with this situation that everyone believes that De Gea has not only been dropped and shifted out to train with the reserves, as is common with people who are not playing in the week but that Van Hals chucked him under the bus and then lied about him not wanting to play yeah I don't know it seems really odd and somewhat out of character given what we've seen of Van Gaal at United uh, not necessarily going back further than that but I think that generous take on it that there's a linguistic thing here is actually quite important because the next day all the papers were running with a story of like De Gea says he never refused to play and I read back the transcript of the the quotes it's like nowhere in it does it say Van Gaal say De Gea refused to play he he said he wasn't keen to play you know which could like mean he's not like champing at the bit to get back in the side 
you know. Ah, uh, yeah, but there were two conversations here. One is the press conference and one is the sidebar with right. Van Hal and Tony Barrett. Right? Right, and there right. he was much more specific, right? So, right, you know, right. mm, well, who who knows exactly? But um, at, at least in uh, the De Gea camp, it appears to be that they believe that Van Hal has chucked him under the bus. And that, and that in itself is a big, big problem, right? Even if he didn't mean to chuck him under the bus, if we, if we take a generous view of it and say he didn't mean to chuck him under the bus, it's still a big problem that he's ended up chucking him under the bus because you don't want De Gea under a bus. You want him between the sticks. You know, that's the, you don't want that relationship broken because then the whole summer's work is sort of undone, isn't it? Because that United go from this position of strength, of, of relative strength, of like, well, if you don't give us a ton of money, we're just going to keep De Gea for a year. He's going to have to play well because there's tons of competition for the Spanish number one spot and there's an international tournament in the summer. So De Gea will have to be at the races. But now you're in a position where you're sort of saying you've, kind of got United into a position where it's like, okay, if De Gea stays, he's going to hate the manager. You know, <laughs> that's, that is not good. Right, so, so you know, whatever the spin, we're, we're in a position where everyone is completely intransigent. And, uh, you know, De Gea wants to move. Van Gaal doesn't want a player who's not happy around his squad, quite literally doesn't want him around the squad, and the club won't move the player on until they get the fee they want. And Madrid are playing a game of brinkmanship, uh, presumably thinking that uh, that scenario where they United have an ha- unhappy player means that United will cave for a lower fee towards the end of the transfer window. And that might still be the case, of course, you know. You know, if, if this is all about getting the biggest fee possible, keeping an unhappy player on the sidelines for a year and letting him run down his contract isn't the best negotiating tech. Absolutely not. One of the interesting things about this situation is, like, the thing that I've always thought about Van Gaal's time at United is that he would probably have a bit of a happier ending than most of his time in charge of various clubs because he's always tended to fall foul of hierarchy and entrenched power structures at clubs uh, more often than footballing failure. There's been a few of those too, but, you know, Barcelona, super political club, Bayern Munich, like ultra mega super whopping political club with hundreds of different, you know, entrenched factions. So it seemed like United actually is not that much of a political club, really. There's not, you know, you haven't got tons of people who think they know what what's best for the club arguing about it because we've had Fergie for years and years and years. So there's this very kind of totalitarian power structure. But this is actually potentially the root of a bit of division between like Woodward and the board and Van Gaal because he's not playing ball with what they want, assuming we think that what they want is to just either drive up the fee or keep De Gea happy, one or the other. And Van Gaal doesn't, isn't really interested in the fee, although he did say we want to get good money for our players. I don't know. It's all speculation at this point, of course, isn't it? Well, it, well, it is, yeah. But but United are now not in a very good situation, right? You know, we don't have a situation where I, I think we can turn around on September the second, having kept the hair, uh, and everyone goes, "Yeah, we won that game of brinkmanship. It's worth not taking the twenty-five million or whatever's on offer to keep it on." You know, to keep a happy David de Gea chasing the Premier League. Yeah, let's be hopeful uh, and a decent run in Europe it's worth spending that money right and just letting him run down his contract and not taking a fee right but but a De Gea that's not getting on with the manager um, doesn't want to be there and uh, not focused and not training with the first team and not being considered is just no good for anybody 
you know? Of course, last season, not far off this time last season, there were big rumours that De Gea and Van Gaal had fallen out to the point where they weren't talking to each other and they still clearly built a functional working relationship out of that. So uh, whether that was even true or not, I've got absolutely no idea. I've got no inside sources on that one, Ed. Yeah, anyway, all a bit of a mess. Anyway, right, you know, we didn't we didn't quite cover off all the game. Now, talking of functional working relationship, Bastian Schweinsteiger... Just a little bit more. I'm in love, Just Ed. a little I'm bit in... more than functional, wasn't he? <laughs> I'm in love. I'm like properly like, oh, isn't he dreamy? Like, you know, just in a sort of, uh, it just makes me feel very safe in the world, I think. He comes on and starts pointing and shouting, and but not in a bad way, in a way that like, yeah, do what I say and we'll be better off. And then everyone did what he said and we were better off. It was great. I love him, Ed. I love him. And he played more passes in half an hour than anyone else in the team, basically. <laughs> so, um, he, he's just class, right? So, yeah. Uh, get, yeah. Is there any reason not to start him against Bruges? He, just, he needs the game time, doesn't he? He needs the fitness. Yeah. Let's, let's get him in the team. He's, he's super, super classy. And whoever drops out the team, whether it's Carrick or Schneiderlin or someone else, because um, there still is the possibility all three could play, although that does feel quite conservative. Yeah. <laughs> um, a little too, but, you know, hey. Um, so, yeah, just got to get him in the team. He's he, You're right, he's a, he's a leader. He uses the ball fantastically well. Um, as long as he's fit, I think he's going to have huge contribution for United and and you know when Van Gaal finally sees the light and listens to this podcast a, a little bit more and drops Rooney he can give him the captain's armband too but, um, Alex Shaw from ESPN with a brilliant tweet saying that he's a bit biased because Schweinsteiger is one of his favourite ever players but him coming on as a sub was like a dad coming on in a kids game and it did feel like that's like alright look all 21 of the rest of you are not as good as me but it's okay I'll raise the collective level just by coming on and then the other the thing about Schweinsteiger that was lovely was the army put round the shoulder of Depay at the end of that game and that's just like you know it's just a little photo that's been doing the rounds and maybe it was just for a split second but he's got his arm around him he's talking to him and that's exactly what Memphis needed because he'd had quite a tough game he'd missed that chance he'd shanked that free kick miles over the bar you know all that stuff so I've got a question for you about uh, the Brugge game which we can we can sort of talk about maybe a bit later as well but if you do drop one of Schneiderlin and Carrick, who which one of those do you drop for Schweinsteiger? Well, for the, for the Bruges game or Brugge, which whichever language you want to say it in, uh, I drop Carrick just because you know he's getting on and and there's no point in playing two games a week if it's not necessary. So just for this game, Carrick goes. Long term, yeah, hard to say. I mean, I'd actually like to see United not play with two defensive midfielders all the time. Um, and of course, I think Schweinsteiger super fit. He can he can play in a more of an all round row. So, so can Schneiderling. Uh, have to say, you know, he's got plenty of energy. He's not a, necessarily just a water carrier. His distribution is nowhere as good as Carrick's. Um, well, you say that, but you look at his numbers last season, and they are a fraction below. Yeah, I, I know, and but but more key passes as well. Uh, yeah, but you know, he had one opportunity uh, burst forward, Schneiderling. You know, very good take of the ball and had the chance to weight the ball through and just under hit it a little bit right and just feel if Carrick was playing that pass it would have been inch perfect it would but he probably wouldn't have taken that ball and burst forward with it in the way that Schnuggling did would he that's not really Carrick's way he likes standing Carrick does ideally so does Wayne Rooney they're in a a club (laughs) hub too 
Well, they are. In fact, they were in a club of three uh, in that uh, starting eleven. I think that might be the fewest players in a starting eleven uh, that never played that uh, that played for Fergie uh, so far at United. Three players in that starting eleven played for Fergie, which is a very small number when you think about it. Indeed. Oh, should we have? Um, should we have? We, you mentioned him briefly, but I feel like a, a word of praise and on on my part, a sort of a bit of an apology is owed to Daily Blint, really, because I was terrified of watching Blint play against the kind of team that are likely to get the ball out wide and pin crosses into a big man. They didn't start with Gishted, but they brought him on, and you wouldn't have known because Blint kept him. In his back pocket, he's cut off the man bun. He looks a man reborn. Gary Neville gave him man of the match. Uh, I'd have given it to Damien. Um, but but yeah, that's superb performance from Blint. He'll have much bigger tests than that, but he passed that one pretty well. He did. He did fine. Yeah, I, I actually thought Villa got it wrong. I, I would have dropped Agbon Lahore or Sinclair and moved Agbon Lahore wide left and played Gishted and I'd have sat Gishted on Blint straight away, just test it. Um, so really, really, he's not been tested physically, and that's what we assume is the problem, right? So either someone running behind him because he's slow, um, or, or the long ball, especially the long diagonal from left to right, ought to cause him a problem. But neither Spurs nor Villa have properly tested that. He, he's very, very comfortable in sort of defensive situations on the ground or with the ball, and. That's what he's had to do so far. So he's done a fine job there. Um, I would think better players, better strikers will exploit it. But maybe we'll be prov- proven wrong. I, I somehow doubt it. And uh, Marcos Rocco is getting back to fitness. So I'm, I'm not sure we'll test that one for the whole season. Smalling, very good. Three times gave a ball away in bad, very bad ball possession. And it was just like, oh yeah, this is why... This is why Van Gaal was even considering Jones, because it must drive him to absolute distraction when Smalling gives the ball away cheaply coming out of the back, because it's so important to Van Gaal's whole system. But defensively, Smalling was absolutely rock solid again. Damien, I said I'd fall in love with Bastian Schweinsteiger. Damien, like... Wow, what a player he looks. Just looks like a brick wall. There's there's been multiple occasions, probably at least 10 occasions, where someone's attacked us down the right-hand side in those two games, and I've kind of instinctively braced myself for the ball that's coming in the box. But it didn't get in the box because the right-back stopped it. It's like, what is this madness? You know, what is this this new magic that's been reintroduced to football? And plus there was his incredible distraction techniques on Micah Richards. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so so two things. He, he had a fantastic game. Uh, he, he's great defensively. He gets forward. Uh, he didn't actually get any crosses in this time, but it wasn't really the way United were playing. He, he lumped it into Rosette when he needed to, certainly hit a few long. The distraction technique, that was extremely funny. I have to say, very, very funny. He poked him in the face and he's talking to him. Apparently he told him he was a bit soft afterwards. But he actually lost his man, right? So outside of the funny, uh, Mika Richards got ahead of him and Darmian spending more time trying to poke Mika Richards and pull his shirt off and he's trying to get the right side of the player. I, I mean, know. maybe I, that's it. Maybe you thought he could never beat him in the air, but he was definitely the wrong side of the player. I, I thought he, he kind of put Richards off quite well. And the second time, because there was the first one where he kind of, he, he didn't he didn't poke him in the eye. He like touched his own face as if to say, you've got something on your face, mate, to just like make him stop thinking about what he was thinking about. And then when, when Richards went for it, 
in slow motion replay, it looked like Damien kind of dragged him and rugby tackled him to the ground, but really just kind of flicked his arms out towards him and stopped him moving in a way that would have been quite difficult to pick up, I think. Um, and then the second one was amazing because just as the ball's being just about ready to be hit in, Damien offers his hand as a handshake to Richards to kind of say, oh, sorry, mate, about last time. But he's tricking him again. He did a trick handshake. Remarkable scenes, I thought. Yeah, and then he uh, he flicked his hand up and wiped his head. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Um, hmm. I, I wonder how many more of those shenanigans we'll see as the season goes. Might, on. might see a few. Yeah, just, just a bit Italian, wasn't it? I know. It's like the thing is, Italian defending is quite bad these days. That Syria loads of very high goal per game average compared to what it used to be. But Damien looks like the kind of stereotype of a nineteen. 19- 70s Italian defender he's got the hair and he's got the incredibly solid defending and apparently he's got the terrible schneidiness as well very good 12 million pounds it's uh it, it carries on like this it's going to be an absolute bargain for, for all the money United have spent um they should have paid uh, double for for that guy but anyway so so fantastic yeah sure on the other side I thought very good as well he's uh you know there's there's one place he, time he just knocked it past the villa player and then just burst past him for speed and we didn't see that last season we know we know he's got it he's super quick sure and that's that's the thing that kind of marks him out as, out as being such a classy player that that speed gets him out of all sorts of trouble and causes you know united to have a another weapon down the left hand side but he looked very composed again and you know, as I said, it looks like a good unit at the moment, and and those two fullbacks are becoming very important because, um, you know, whoever United play on the on the two wings, Matter and Memphis in this case, they both want to come inside, don't they? So the fullbacks are very important just to make sure that United aren't really really narrow because if you're that narrow, it's quite easy to defend. Yeah, against. absolutely. Um, all right, should we do some Twitter questions before we preview uh, Club Bruges? At That Trafford Kid says, is there any more juicy rumour than Muller to United? It's life-threatening, to be honest, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I wish that rumour would go away because I'm so upset about how convinced I am that it's not going to happen, but how happy I would be if it did. It's the hope that it kills you. Yeah, just don't even think about it, yeah. Um, the, even worse, the one this morning in the, the Sunday Express, which, of course, I refuse to read until someone tricks me with a bit of... A, clickbait on Twitter um, uh, saying that Muller actually wants to join United He's actively after it yeah yeah great well that sounds like good news hooray uh, I'm sure if we uh, did the, the research we would find that that's based on some quote he gave in 2003 or something anyway all right so <laughs> at Nathan underscore Juno says why did Ed block me pretty standard rank cast question that no idea you were probably offensive or I just didn't like the cut of your jib at Big Shimmery Wall says as an international fashionista what's Ed's hot take on hashtag five caps versus AB caps which are worse I have now looked up AB caps I don't know what an AB cap is it is a if I just tell you that when I opened that picture a player I'd forgotten existed appeared wearing a cap with the letters AB on it the boy Alex Bootner has got his own range of caps Nice. Nice. Absolutely extraordinary. Maybe I should buy one. We can give it away. Uh, Alex, if you're listening, uh, if you want some free promotion on the uh, the Rankcast, we'd like a range of your caps to give away. Thanks. (laughs) 
Do we do we really want that? No. And we've never given away a five cap. Why hasn't Rio ever got in touch and said they give away a five cap? That's true. Yeah. So anyway. At Callamore says, is our lack of goals a worry or is it down to rustiness? Where do you see the goals coming from? There's a ton of goals in that squad, right? Loads of players that score lots of goals in that in that squad. Yeah, I I, I don't know. It's that conversation we had earlier, I think it's a mostly tactical and a little bit personnel. So, yeah, United are going to need to open up. Uh, we can't can't win the league scoring 60 goals, and at the moment that's about what United will end up scoring. OK, I think that seems reasonable. So loads and loads of kind of either outright or vague allusions to, like, is it time to start giving up on Van Gaal now? I'm not even going to shout out any in particular. When did we become unbelievably boring to watch do you still believe in LVG given money spent and still lethargic football slash sterile attack and I think you look at the side that Van Gaal started with last season and you compare it to the side that he started with this season you look at the kind of absolutely calamitous defensive structure that we had last season which was quite reminiscent of the early part of Fergie's last season I I think there's a there's a ton of progress happening. I, I don't I don't know why you would give up on Van Gaal at this stage when he's so clearly building towards something. Whether he gets there or not, you know. It's the polarising world of social media, right? You know, there's there's no nothing in the middle. Yeah, the yeah. level hate everything, I think. So. And I dismiss all that, except for the, the comment about United being unbelievably boring. Because that's about right, right? And it's it's how United played for about two thirds of last season, either calamitous or really boring. And there are about three games when there's actually some exciting football. So United are really boring right now, and it's all about possession. And I think it could get even more boring because everything Van Gaal wants at the moment is control, right? And it almost feels uh, it's not quite because I know Van Gaal does this on instinct, but it's it's that kind of thing where Brendan Rodgers said, "Well, the team that has most possession wins ninety three point six percent of the time or whatever right you know it's this kind of obsessional drive towards possession which it it does win you games right and you can't lose when you've got the ball um the problem is that um he seems to be eradicating all the fantasy out of united's game you know that might not be true if Yanazai gets another game and if Memphis starts again and if Schweinsteiger comes into the side, you know, it might and they all get a, a few more minutes and it may feel like that changes a bit. But if Yanazai's dropped for the next game because he lost the ball a bit too often uh, and Ashley Young comes back into the, the side, then or, or even where Schweinsteiger comes into the side, United go very conservative, then, then we'll know that something's not quite right and, and Van Hull's gone too far the other way. One thing that's really interesting about Van Gaal, I was having this conversation with someone at the weekend, is that he very often after games says we were too slow in possession and he talks about the lack of pace and creativity in our attack as being a problem. And, you know, his Bayern side had Robin and Ribery on either flank, right? It was exciting to watch that, that Bayern side, even though structurally it was very similar to what we're doing now. There's no way Van Gaal wants United's football to be boring because he he wants us to win games and to win games you have to have creativity and fantasy in the final third you know he wants safety in two-thirds of the pitch and something in the final third and that it's just that that part the safety now we've kind of got and I'm I'm very pleased about that I actually have to say I didn't really find the Villa game boring because I thought there's a lot of kind of interesting little subplots here and after Schweinsteiger and Herrera came on 
it was very not boring. It was, you know, there was that lovely chance for Memphis. He also had that free kick chance in that in that period. So there was a lot there was a lot going on after a certain point in that game. But it is definitely not working yet. But I don't think this is Van Gaal's end game with United. Yeah, let's hope not. Uh, yeah, if it is, that's bad. Um, was <laughs> at Big, Big Shimmery Wall again. Was Daly Blint cutting off his flowing locks a te- poor attempt to pretend we'd signed a new centre-back? Well, the thing is, if he cut off his flowing locks, it'd have been something to mourn. But he cut off the man bun and that surely must be celebrated. At EPL New Five says rank our current centre halves. Um, right in in right now centre halves Smalling is top. Yes, yes, it's yes, very good. yes. Well, um, only two of them played this season, so uh, you know theoretically Rocco might be second, um, and then uh, Phil Jones, um, and then uh, are we talking actual proper centre halves? Yeah. Then, then we drop down to Johnny Evans. Uh, or maybe even Patrick McNair, who was much better than Evans last season. So there you go. I don't think we count Daily Blint, do we? Um, or, or Michael Carrick or Tyler Blackett or any of the others who sort of played there in last season or a bit this. At I Am Young Indian says, why is LVG not signing Hummels when he wants a ball-playing centre-back? He's the best in class. And it's because... Hummel, Hummels doesn't want to join and seems to be enjoying himself at... Uh, Borussia, who played very well yesterday, actually. I don't know whether you caught Shinji's role in uh, one of Borussia's goals. I didn't, but I heard and I saw on Twitter people getting very excited. Now, there's a player, Marco Royce, who's got a fantastic goal yesterday. God, he, you know, you were trying to pick players that would suit us and fit our system and make us better last week. Yeah, missed him. Yeah, he would be, he's yeah. the archetype, isn't he? He's like, oh, brilliant attacking wide player. That'd be very... Yeah, but the question's right. I mean, Humm- Hummels is your ball-playing centre-back. Now, we've talked about him loads, haven't we? He's just a tad slow, uh, but he reads the game fantastically well and he's a brilliant passer of the ball. At artistic underscore HL says, what's your favourite potato-based dish? Uh, I mean, that is a complicated question. There's a lot of really world-class dishes that are potato-based. Uh, my mum's potato gratin is pretty special, so that's got to be hard to beat. Very good. What's your f- favourite potato based? Well, I, I, yeah, long story, but I've been on a, a, a very strange zero sugar, zero alcohol, zero dairy, zero anything of any kind of fun diet for a month. How's that going? It's really boring. Actually, <laughs> Are you actually feeling better? Yeah, not really. Um, it's the lack of alcohol. It's just not good. It's giving me the shakes. So, yeah, I, I, I was allowed to eat chips, so I had quite a few chips. Healthy diet. Um, at I am Kuchibatia says, "Why do you guys hate Rooney?" Question mark. Question mark. See above. Yeah, I, I, I definitely don't. Just to be extremely clear about this. Well, look, there's all the stuff I talked about. Uh, at Will Herbert says, "Why don't any pundits or commentators talk about how bad Rooney is? Is it because he plays for England?" Um, yeah. There's an interesting thing because I said Gary Neville was very critical of Rooney in about the 89th minute, very overtly critical, and I said, "Oh." Finally, you know, and loads and loads of different people, people I really respect as well, get back to me and said, no, he's definitely because I wasn't paying full attention to what Neville was saying throughout that game. I was making notes and stuff. Um, but he, they were saying, no, he was subtly critical of him all the way through that game. Doesn't look very mobile, should be doing better there, etc., etc. But it took till the 89th minute for him to fully take the gloves off. Yeah, the, the, the problem with Neville is he lost some credibility when Joe Hart was letting the ball through his legs week on week and and he'd be asked about what do you think about Joe Hart's performance and he'd say well David De Gea was really bad there yeah there, there, there was a bit of that or and, something and of I, that I think nature. you know 
Gary Neville's done a pretty good job of trying to become impartial since he since he took that Sky job. But but Rooney's England captain and a, a long time colleague of of Neville's, and he'll also you know Neville's seen all the best of Rooney as well. So it's kind of understandable that there's a bit of. It's always going to be difficult to be the poacher and the gamekeeper. Yes, absolutely. Um, but generally speaking, I think the 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 general lack of criticism of Rooney comes from the fact that he was England's most important player for a decade or whatever. Hilarious, absolutely hilarious. I could not believe this happened. But you know how newspaper player ratings are absolute garbage, right? This is kind of universally pretty much acknowledged fact. The Sun made Rooney their star man of that game. Star, star man, Ed! They made him man of the match! They made him man of the match! So so you get some bizarre ones on who scored where they use an algorithm that can obviously be defeated by some kind of weird combination of actions in the game. Yeah. But someone's actually written that down. Having watched the game, yeah. or did they just make a few numbers up? I'm sure that it got to be the latter. They they knocked Romero a point for the thing he let through his hands in the warm-up. That, that was a little worrying, <laughs> like, that one. It really was. That really was a little worrying. But he was fine in the game, so that was good. So, we, we talked about punditry. Now, now, here's a question for you, Alan. What, what do you know about Club Bruges? <laughs> All right, I could tell you some stuff about Club Bruges. Go for it. They are historically the most successful club in Belgium, but they've not won the league for a long time. The longest period they've ever not won the league for since they first won the league. But they got a new manager in um, at the beginning of last season uh, with a French name that I can't call to mind at the moment. And he um, got them to, because Belgium have like a playoff system. So they won the kind of... Isn't it Michel Proudhon? That's it, exactly. The, yeah. the, the goalkeeper, who who was the Belgian goalkeeper at the 1986 World Cup. That, you remember? Uh, the na- really big hair, hands and big hair. The, the name rang a bell. I was like, I'm sure I know that name. And then I looked him up and was like, oh yeah, that's why I've, that's why I've heard of him. But yeah, they... Uh, they they won the Belgian Cup last season and they won the kind of regular season league, but that doesn't count for anything because there's a there's a playoff thing. And so they, they're kind of building something. That I asked the people at Benefoot um, about uh, them and they said they're, they're a pretty good side, but they're not, they haven't hit top form now and a lot of their most important players are out. And uh, someone who's a, like a United admirer and a season ticket holder of theirs follows me on Twitter and he said the same thing. He said they're... they're They've got a bit of a problem because they I've either got sort of not fully fit or or injured players in some of their best players. So. Yeah, I was looking. They they do have about ten injuries at the moment. Um, I will tell you what I know about Club Bruges. Uh, they've got two players. One's called Ter Dix. Say that carefully after a few uh, after a few pints. And the other is called Bolly Bolling Golly. <laughs> That's a good name. So, sorry, Very good but, name. Yeah, Bolly Bolling Golly and uh, Ter Dix uh, up front. Leo awesome. Raffaloff. Is there one of their key players, apparently? Rafa? Anyway, you can see how much I know about him because of my pronunciation. This is really poor stuff. He's injured, though, and that's actually quite important. One other vaguely useful fact is that their ground has apparently got a super intimidating atmosphere, so probably do us a bit of a power of good to uh, to do well here. And, and in fact, they, um, they, they, had, they were heavily defeated in their away leg against Panathinaikos in the round before this one uh, and turned that round at home, so. There you go. So, of course, United at home first. Uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger this week has said, relieve the anxiety by winning comfortably at home. Uh, he said he hadn't played in many of these qualifying games. No, of course you haven't, Bastian. <laughs> of course you haven't. He hasn't had to, has he? 
He's played for Munich all this time. They don't have to faff about with this malarkey. Although they had a, they had a couple of dodgy seasons, didn't they? They did. They did. So, so look, uh, the Belgian league traditionally not very strong. It's just not very strong at the moment. The coefficients way down for whatever that means. You know, United's coefficients way down as well. United should win this very comfortably. Very comfortably. Yeah, since I did that research, they've managed a draw and a win. Bruges, there you go. The problem with predicting a comfortable win for United is it feels really uncomfortable to do that. Like We're not supposed to underestimate opposition, are we? That's the thing. But this is a, this is a championship standard, if that, team, probably. Right, right. And, and Liverpool beat them in 1978, Champions League final, well, European Cup final. And 1976, I think, in the UEFA Cup final. A bad, go. a good year, a good decade for getting to finals. A bad decade for losing finals to Liverpool for them. There you go. Yeah. Um, so hubris is United's enemy, of course. But if there's any 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 complacency at all, then United deserve to go out of this competition. So a good professional job. I'm sure. I'm sure that Schweini, who will start, uh, will keep them on their toes. Uh, United have played Bruges once before, but it was a friendly between United reserves. And Bruges and United Reserves won against, I think, Bruges' first team. And Bebe played in that game. There's a brilliant line in the match report on manunited.com, which says, Bebe's cross-come shot nearly uh, defeated their goalkeeper. It's like, classic Bebe. Doesn't know whether it's a cross or a shot. But yeah, he tried to cross and sliced it. We've seen that one. So, yeah, uh, I I guess that's... uh, can't, sorry for there's not a better insight into their relative standing in the Belgian league and, and how their kind of backup players are doing, given their star players are injured. But that'll have to do for you, and we'll see what happens on Tuesday night. It's very exciting that the Champions League back, though, isn't it? It is. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's uh, it's been too long. And uh, a long time since United even did very well in this, you know. So um, I suppose a quarterfinal under David Moyes, which which just wasn't right anyway, given how poor some of the performances were in that in that season's competition. But so, yeah, I expect a comfortable win and uh, United will end up in the in the uh, group stages. That's when it really does get interesting because United will definitely get a pot one team and uh, it could be one of the really big boys. But before that, after the uh, first Bruges game, there's Newcastle United at the weekend and they stink as well. <laughs> They do, although didn't they win at the weekend? No, they didn't, did they? They got beaten. No, no, no. They they lost the they lost the Swansea, and uh, they very very nearly lost to Southampton. They completely ran out of steam in the last fifteen minutes, and Southampton missed an absolute sitter to win that game. You know, um, you know, I was joking about the thing that I keep forgetting. Sergio Romero signed for United. Kind of slightly got that in my brain now. But uh, Steve McLaren being the Newcastle manager, I keep forgetting as well. That's a weird thing that's happened. I was just sitting here going. Wait a minute, John Carver's gone. Who's their manager now? And of course, it's Steve McLaren, uh, United old boy, of course. He is, yeah. A long time since he was uh, at United, you know, more than a decade now. And um, sort of rebuilt his career after uh, the disaster with England. Went away to uh, FC 20 and uh, did well there, then failed at Wolfsburg, then went back to Holland. And then where's he been since then? He's been at Derby, Derby and Nottingham and- Forest or something like that. Uh- absolutely shanked it at Derby last season just cruising to uh, to promotion and just chucked the lot a real proper old-fashioned bottle job from Derby at the end of last season so kind of interesting 
to see how well he does at Newcastle. A very difficult place to go and do well, you would imagine, under the current circumstances. How annoyed would you be if you were a Newcastle fan about the fact that Johan Kabaye had signed for Alan Pardew's Crystal Palace? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just a brilliant worm, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it, really it is. It's brilliant. The, the other brilliant worm, of course, is that... Uh, uh, Gabriel Obertan is a fixture in the side. S- still there, still, still there. there. Putting a fantastic cross for Wijnaldum's header the other day. Yeah. Oh, that's a good signing, isn't it, Wijnaldum? He's good. He is, yeah. Um, McLaren played him sort of in this kind of weird role at number 10 against Southampton, which is really not his position. He's he's much more of a defensive-minded player, but uh, it looks like he's uh, he's been a very good signing. And, you know, a lot, a lot of their... They had quite a short pre-season, didn't they, Newcastle? So they, they look a little undercooked. So, you know, once they have Sissoko fully fit and Sisse fully fit. They've got the core of a half-decent side. They've also got an awful lot of dross around them. Though. Yeah, I thought um, United's fitness, Rooney and maybe Depay aside, um, and I think Depay probably was a bit influenced by disappointment, really, in that game. But I thought everyone pretty much stayed at it all the way through that game. I was glad to see Darmian getting 90 minutes, no signs of cramps or anything like that this time. All the defenders look fine. Uh, Carrick is only getting an hour at the moment, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, everyone everyone looked pretty much getting up to getting up to fighting form, didn't they? Fitness wise, they did. So I suppose we've got all that's really left for us to do is predict what we think the outcome of these uh, two games will be. The Newcastle will come, and I can't. You can't see them sitting really, really deep and trying to just defend the whole way through that game because I just don't have the personnel to do that do they no they don't really have the personnel to take the game to united either so <laughs> worst of both worlds there for newcastle so i actually think united will win that one fairly comfortably for some crazy reason i have a feeling that united will put in two half decent performances in the in the coming week i mean i admire your kind of relentless optimism in the face of evidence ed yeah that's true and i, I'm I, think, normally I think we're gonna be that we should learn from history right <laughs> i think we're gonna play really badly i can't see where fluid attacking brilliant performances are coming from unless you know plays Schweinsteiger and Herrera instead of Schneidlin and Carrick well you see I think that could happen in the European game oh so. god that'd be so lovely so actually I, I don't think it will take very much for United to score two or three goals against Bruges um, just given the standard I, this is completely blind because I haven't seen Bruges play at all so um, I, I'm just going to make an assumption that United win that uh, I'm going to call that one 3-0 wow three goals is he going to bring Chicharito on with half an hour to go then is that what you're saying that's it <laughs> I can't see us getting three goals I'll go for 2-0 in fact I think I'll go for 2-0 in both games so that's my prediction okay okay I was thinking 2-0 against Newcastle so I'm going to go with that too Five goals for United, none against. That doesn't sound right, but uh, there yeah. you go. Um, well, the none against part is starting to make sense, isn't it? Because uh, Mateo Damian and Luke Shaw on either flank make sure that nobody gets past us. And anything that goes into the middle, Smalling deals with. So, you know, we're pretty sorted defensively until one of them gets injured, which can only be a matter of time. I suppose we should, um, given the transfer window is still open and we're about to slam it shut and have a transfer discussion embargo until the sort of 18th of December or something uh, we should we should use the time to chat a bit about transfers because it's been a weird week for that Artemendi rumours loads of rumours saying he's going to City now which is uh 
poof, that'd be that'd be tough to watch happen. And what would maybe be even tougher to watch happen is Pedro going to City, uh, also heavily rumoured. Uh, we'll we'll see. So yeah, the the word on that one is that City will make a move if uh, if they think that uh, his camp aren't just using the city name to drive up the price there's some irony in that assessment isn't there and i think i think there's still a very good chance that uh, pedro ends up at united also mendy I, I i you know i i actually don't buy it that united are, are interested because if what van Hal really wants is a ball playing central defender he he's not that right he's a good defender but he's another smalling yeah, so um, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think United are interested. I'm going to take their protests at face value for that one. Um, but it's not um, it's not obvious that United are going to pull something out here, is it? But then again, we said that the last couple of seasons and the fireworks happened. So come on, Ed, sort it out. We need a striker and a defender. You know it's going to happen. The thing about the, the centre-back is like the last two games give you that kind of slight kind of, oh, OK, well, if you don't get a centre-back, it's not the end of the world. Blink can clearly do a job against the smaller sides. Sorry, Spurs. And, you know, we've got decent numbers. But talk about learn from history. They're going to break. They're going to... Bits of them are going to start snapping off. They're Manchester United defenders. You can't rely on them. It's like we need some hashtag numbers in there as well. There are a lot of defenders in that side, but there's only three that you'd even half trust. So, And two of them... You just have to blow on and they break. So you know, I think I think it's uh, I think it's really important that we sign another centre half. But to just kind of slightly discredit my own point, the thing that we had this conversation at the end of last season, Ed, and you were saying, if you buy players who are kind of just good enough to do a job, eventually you've replaced your whole squad with those players because they come in on big wages and big contracts, and then you're kind of it's the mediocritization of the squad, isn't it? So see, see Liverpool for evidence. Yeah, exactly. So Van Gaal kind of holding out and saying, no, I'm not going to just buy a good central defender. I'm going to buy a central defender I think is a wonderful player and a brilliant addition to the first team. Yep, no, no, no I think it's the right policy. So um, United can get by, and uh, so it's a top-class player that's needed. So, uh, and, and unless Jones spends the season crocked and Evans spends the season crocked and Rojo spends the season crocked and Smalling like gets some weird you know, muscle-related injury. That's Belgian muscles. When we're over. <laughs> that was such a bad choice of shellfish to pick, Ed. Because honestly, talking about footballers using the word muscle injury, it's just confusing at that point. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they could all break down and, and uh, then we'll be in desperate straits. But uh, until then, yeah, worth waiting for top class. It's obviously not going to be Ramos who's uh, uh, waiting on his new heavily laden contract. Yes, um, which the Edward Wood's 10% is yet to be... Uh, Yet to be arranged there, but did a heck of a job as Ramos's agent, really, didn't he? He did. Well, so uh, United are going to do a heck of a job in the two week, two games coming up this week. Um, Maybe-ish, sort of, we hope. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we will win both of those games. Uh, I'm not going to the Bruges game. I would love to go to the Newcastle game, though, so hopefully I'll be able to go to that. I didn't get to the Villa game, uh, which was sad and was partly to do with the fact that the M6 was closed all day that day friend of the show Craig Norwood stuck in traffic he was supposed to be here for about half two in the afternoon got in at six o'clock ground was half empty at kickoff because uh, 
yeah, not a great day for the M6 to be shut, really, was it? Anyway, hopefully all the motorways will be working and so will United's attack. Don't have to get on the motorway, United. Two home games this week, so... <laughs> yeah, that's true, but I would like to get there and, you know, I'm a no-good, low-down-out-of-town fan, so... Indeed indeed you are. Well, at least United's players only have to come from the uh, the Cheshire belt. <laughs> exactly. So we will... Um, We'll we'll see you next week. Uh, we're on Twitter at the usual places. Ed's probably blocked you, but I probably haven't. Facebook.com slash United Rant. Uh, if you want to click like on stuff over there, it makes me happy when people click like on the Rantcast post. So yeah, do that. And you can write us a nice review on iTunes if you'd like to. And uh, definitely subscribe using whatever medium it is that you do this. Occasionally people ask me on Twitter how you subscribe to the podcast. If you've got any kind of smartphone, if you've got an iPhone, there's a podcast app built in. You just search for Rantcast, you'll find us. Uh, If you've got an Android phone, there's tons and tons of podcast apps for free in the App Store. So just grab one of those and then uh, search for Rantcast and you'll find us. There's various other podcasts called Rantcast that occasionally show up but you'll you'll recognize us we'll be the one with yeah united in our hearts or something very good yes so, someone random is sitting in our hashtag rankcast twitter hashtag which is <laughs> it's... totally unacceptable but yeah yeah so so yeah. hashtag rankcast to fill that feed with good stuff about football not some random stuff about some gaming or weird stuff hashtag rankcast about to talk about football or whatever song you're about to hear. And talking of stuff you're about to hear, an enormous thank you to producer Tom. I was blown away by the sound quality of this podcast, having listened to our old episodes in the uh, in the summer. Ed. It's uh, a very tangible difference, isn't it? It is. That's what a pro does for you. Maybe one day we'll actually get pros in the seat. <laughs> yes. All right. Until next week, have a great week and come on, you Reds.